otherwise on SAFM. A very good Friday to you, Mzansi, and welcome to Otherwise Talking Women on SAFM, South Africa's news and information leader. My name is Shara Twala, my producer is Hazel Makuzeni, and our technical producer for today is Ricardo McCarthy. Our contact details are 0892-102010, email otherwise at safm.co.za, tweets at otherwise safm or at Shara Twala. Today, Friday, we talk to author, cook and artist Natasha Barnes on her book, The Culinary Adventures of a Traveling Cook. And I must tell you, very fascinating one. Zikon and Weber talks to us about the Cape Town Fringe Festival in its debut uh, year. Award-winning novelist Sefi Atta talks about her new book, A Bit of Difference. And finally, Melinda Bam, uh, Miss South Africa 2011, talks to us and gives information of the, on the open castings around the country for Miss SA 2015. But first, our lunch bite is by Muslim spoken word poet Madiha Bhatti, who didn't like objectifying lyrics she heard in contemporary music. Rather than switching off the radio, she wrote some of her own. Take a listen. So I heard a song the other day that objectified women in every way. That doesn't narrow it down much, but it was pretty depraved. The feminists are probably still rolling in their graves that see it reduce people to parts, objects to be acquired, turn hearts and minds into mere things to be desired, and as parts of my body were assessed in size, I thought, what a way to be dehumanized, and these artists seem to be playing a game of how many times they can call us the wrong name. Because I'm not a dime, those come a dozen. No, I'm really not interested in all your loving. I'm not your shorty, your hoe, your trick. Your baby, lady, girl, or chick. I mean, can someone explain to me how this counts as music when you chant, you pant about windows and walls? Talk about a woman like she's a thing to be bald. Oh, she's got a big booty, so you call her a big booty? If she had a big brain, would you call her at all? But it seems like I'm the only one appalled. That music can make me feel so small. You may think they're just words. That doesn't give them immunity. Words start wars and break spirits. They're still used with impunity. Just imagine a young girl, smart, funny, well-rounded, walks into a club and finds herself surrounded by men acting like they've got something to collect. They're just listening to the words that tell them that she's an object and her objections catch in her throat as she gets harassed unchecked, treated with disrespect. She's caught in the middle and the lady doth protest too little. A few words have made her think she's brittle. Do you see where I'm going? It's not exactly a riddle. I'm saying, can we turn up the volume, but turn down the noise? Stop polluting the minds of our men and our boys with all the rude misogyny and bland homogeny of rhymes and beats so crude and obsolete because our ears are bleeding from all these cowards. The time is ours. We are ready to devour lyrics that make us feel empowered. Yeah, I watched a video the other day of my girl, Beyonce. She was draped in feathers and furs and things, exaggerated makeup and big chunky rings. She was dancing in the desert, hair whipping wild. And I thought to myself, what does this look like to a child? To see a woman belt about her power while thrusting her hips to and fro. How will she know she can wear the pants in the house when her idol doesn't wear them in a video? I mean, on so many levels, it makes me go ballistic that we've consented to be portrayed as animalistic. Because on one hand, you're exotic, you're fierce, do no wrong. On the other, you're a female dog in every song. I don't want to be serenaded to my individual parts unless you can look past the flesh and talk about hearts. I mean, does anyone even know that Beyonce's smart? Because if she was a boy even just for a day, she wouldn't have to crawl on all fours to crawl up the charts or shed those fine first for a few album covers. Does her husband have that problem? Apparently, he's got 99 others. 
And it sounds dramatic. Maybe my skin should be tougher. But consider the history of women of color, not valued as wives or sisters or mothers, but used by men as unwilling lovers. When you think of the slaves who were used like instruments, you realize that society is progressing by mere increments. Just imagine the bodies covered in raw welts and tell me it's okay when black women are dressed in animal pelts. All those women who paid with their bodies to survive 200 years later are portrayed as sex crazed and deprived. Please forgive me if I think music needs to be revived. I mean, can we turn up the volume but turn down the noise? Stop polluting the minds of our men and our boys with all the rude misogyny and bland homogeny of rhymes and beats so crude and obsolete because our ears are bleeding from all these cowards. The time is ours. We are ready to devour lyrics that make us feel empowered. So I heard a song that caused me pain. The words were bordering inhumane because I'm not accustomed to boys yelling at me. Never had to face boys telling me to smack that, shake that, beat that up. Those aren't the ideas of love with which I grew up. Maybe the whole concept is new to me. But then he started whispering what he'd do to me in a place where no one else could see without even asking if I'd agree. And I really had to strain to hear. The words came fast and disappeared. They were drowned out by good music, I'm not gonna lie. Because good beats are the noise behind which singers hide as they beat a woman up inside. It's easy to do once we've been dehumanized. And the devil's greatest aid is my greatest frustration. It's the most common appellation to sweep the nation. Rhymes with which, I'll leave it to your imagination. And you may think there's no correlation. But when a man loves a woman who won't love him back, what if his first instinct is to attack? He's got lyrics and blood pounding in his ears, and a helpless woman faces her worst fear. She's smacked, shaken, beaten, torn apart. Against all odds, his bite's as bad as his bark. He causes the kind of pain that leaves a mark, and before he leaves, he turns to say his parting word. It's on the tip of his tongue, comes out unslurred, might have been left unsaid if it had been left unheard, but it's been so programmed he doesn't twitch. His mouth fills with venom, and he spits out, bitch. What can she do to ease her strife? Every song on the radio is a soundtrack to her life. So can we turn up the volume, but turn down the noise? Stop polluting the minds of our men and our boys with all the rude misogyny and bland homogeny of rhymes and beats so crude and obsolete because our ears are bleeding from all these cowards. The time is ours. We are ready to devour lyrics that make us feel empowered. I know it's a steep mountain to climb. It might take a while, but until that time, I think I'd just rather spit my own rhymes. Oh, poet Madi Habati, you can find that on uh, YouTube. Otherwise, on SAFM. The Culinary Adventures of a Traveling Cook is written by cook and artist Natasha Barnes from her numerous trips locally and abroad. This book shares many humorous accounts of her travels across the globe. Her experiences are relived through the foods she's encountered and enjoyed in countries as diverse as the USA, Vietnam, Argentina, Ethiopia, and Burma. Natasha joins me now on, on the phone. Natasha, welcome. Hi, thank you. Thank Love you for you. your time. This is such an amazing book. Thank you so much. I thoroughly enjoyed it, and I, I want your life so much right now. Oh, thank you. <laughs> it's been a journey, I can tell you. Well, it it it, it seems like, but it's it's it, it's a book that not shouldn't be in the kitchen because I think it's a coffee table book as well. It's got the most beautiful pictures. Thank you. And now uh, I think then I've achieved what I set out to do. I wanted to give the reader a little bit of. I wanted to show them the world through my eyes. So not only reliving my journeys through the food that I experienced, taste, and cooked in those countries, but also 
visual aspect of what I brought home. I, I'm glad I was able to portray that in the book. Now, just to sum it up, I, I like the sentence, in the early days of my career, it was not unheard of to cook with the prisoners in the morning, paint in the afternoon, and fly to New York over weekends. How gorgeous is that? Uh, it was very interesting. Uh, in my, my late 20s, I had uh, two cookery schools at maximum security prisons in KwaZulu-Natal. Mm -hmm. And I would um, train prisoners uh, an extra skill that they were able to use one day, hopefully on the outside. And I used to, during the same time, I was painting as well. And then I would actually go into the school, do the curriculum for the day and then if it was time for me to fly to New York for an art exhibition or something out of town I would leave on the in the afternoon so it was it was a very busy time in my life but I thoroughly enjoyed it now who who would choose I mean you've been editor of a cook magazine um, uh, or rather a cooking editor right is that what yes, we call that, it? Yes, that is correct. Yes, a cookery editor. A cookery editor, and you you then choose to go and 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 teach prisoners how to cook. I mean, where did that come from? Well, actually, it was I started off as a favour for a friend. Um, she was running some of these cookery courses, and her actual um, lecturer fell ill, and they asked me if I was able to step in for three weeks, mm -hmm. and three weeks became five years of my life. And eventually I took over and then I was part of writing the curriculum as well for an outcome-based education within the cookery industry at the time. And it was, it was so rewarding, I tell you. I learned so much about myself. And as you know, I'm a cordon bleu chef. Mm -hmm. So being highly creative and then having to go into an environment where you've got to try and pass some of that knowledge onto someone who has had no formal training, some mm -hmm. of them. It was very rewarding. What kept you going back? I mean, you stayed five years, as you say, because, you know, prison is not the most ideal place to work. I think once you get in, you know, I never had a single bad experience in those five years. Mm -hmm. And I believe I was truly loved. So I, the, the actual satisfaction of being able to say that um, you've helped someone and that that someone has a chance of something good in life afterwards. And it actually happened to me one day. I was driving down one of the main streets in Durban. I stopped at the, at the traffic lights. This gentleman ran up to my car, started beating on my window, and I thought, oh, my goodness, what is this? Mm -hmm. And he was waving at me. He said, Natasha, Natasha, remember me. And that's when I realized that I had done some good. Oh, that's that's beautiful, and yeah. yeah, no. But you seem to be very in touch with yourself because the painting was also not planned as part of your journey. No, absolutely. Um, I knew from the age of about four that I wanted to paint, and mm. I've been painting since uh, about seven. And so, painting was my hobby, and art was my um, sorry. Painting was my hobby, and cooking was my career. Okay. I mean, you know what they say: life is what happens while you're planning other things. <laughs> For and sure. I soon found myself reversing the roles so it's now I'm a full-time artist really and and you exhibit all over the world absolutely yes and I still do so now, tell me Natasha you you know there's very many details here and you tell beautiful stories about Paris for instance <laughs> <Thank you. laughs> and and the pictures go with it I mean that mom I taught I yes. it took me right back to I could 
actually smell it because I, I think know. a lot of us grew up in the kind of Oma's kitchen or grandma's kitchen or Gogo's kitchen if you like and and there's certain smells that that just take you back there and I, as through the pictures again I can almost smell uh, the Marmite tart and of course that that slow roasted shoulder of lamb which all happened during your 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 stay at the farm Absolutely. Um, I was born in Paris, mm -hmm. and so Paris was my home for 21 years until I went um, to Cape Town to study for the Cordon Bleu, obviously, when after school. And um, the, the, the part of the book is the journey I've had since childhood, mm -hmm. and my free state upbringing is still very much a part of me. Even mm -hmm. though I travel the world, I always come home to Africa, which is in my DNA. Mm -hmm. And when I think back of my childhood, the recipe that stands out for me the most is that Marmite tart. <laughs> and even though you wouldn't expect a simple Marmite tart to come from a chef, I just felt it's something I wanted to share with everyone because that is my most treasured memory from my childhood, that Marmite tart. I would have liked you to call it the tart. <laughs> <laughs> I can say that as you Yeah, mom my dad, you know. <laughs> that that should have been in the book as well, just to give it yeah. more authenticity. Yeah. But then how did you manage? Because, you know, I look at this and I look at your picture and I'm thinking, she couldn't have done all these things in in, in the ages that I think you you've lived, but also you have great memory because it, you've got inspiration. I, I mean, I was I was looking at what gave you inspiration across the board when you went to Harlem, for instance, and and at those ribs that you've now given a recipe for, which also looks gorgeous. But how did you did you keep little notes? Because the book just comes out now. So how did you remember all those places and the details of those places? Yeah. I think one one of the biggest blessings in my life is that I have an incredible memory. So um, I remember places photographically, names, people, little things that other people will long forget. I, I cling on to, and I, I think it's because I'm an artist, mm -hmm. and we, by nature, are very visual people. So everything in my mind is like a little movie that I see. And as far-fetched as some of the stories seem, I mean, there's some hilarious sort of <laughs> scenes in the book, if you want to say, they're all true. And my friends have been nagging me for years. They're saying, Natasha, you've got to write a book. You've got to write a book. And I thought that this would be the perfect platform to marry the two, the stories, because I'm quite a good storyteller, mm -hmm. and the recipes for my love for creativity and sharing. And so a, a very good friend of mine once said, there comes a time in your life when you are able to blend everything that you have learned and done on this earth mm. in one moment and i think that this is the book i'm able to use my art my creativity my food styling my humor my writing <laughs> and that's the product it's very inspirational <laughs> i must say because it got me thinking about my own life you know what the things i've been talking about doing for so long and haven't even touched and this is a great inspiration but is there a, a, an ingredient um and i was trying to find one going through the book is an ingredient that is universal that everybody uses because you've gone to greece you've gone to different parts of this continent africa You've gone to Argentina and, and, and Paraguay. You've, you've gone just about all over the world, uh, to China and, 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 and Singapore. Are, are there, is there an ingredient that stands out that we all use? Or have we come to an age where 
we we use a lot of uh, we fuse our foods uh, with different cultures. You know what? It's more about trends, and um, we tend to follow the trends worldwide, and it's the same trends that set in. So at the moment, there's a very strong emphasis on things like smoked Spanish paprika, of which I've used quite a lot of mm-hmm. in the book. Mm-hmm. And it's just something unique that you can use to spruce up any basic recipe. And then again, your salted caramels, your salted chocolates, your smoked food, smoked chocolates, smoked chicken breasts, you know, anything smoked is also becoming very fashionable at the moment. Mm-hmm. So you'll find a lot of writers will take elements of what is going around in the food scene worldwide and encompass that in their books. So from my point of view, I kind of, what was so important for me is to make sure that every single ingredient I've used in my book, I can buy from my local supermarket. Mm-hmm. And that supermarket mustn't be in Johannesburg. It's got to be like in Ellis Russ. <laughs> so if you're a tiny in Ellis and you want to make something amazing, you can go take the recipe and you'll be able to buy everything at your local supermarket, no matter how big or small. That's beautiful. And the coffee ingredient in cooking is, is I've heard about it, but I, I, I see that you've, you've got, I think, two coffee dishes or where you, you use coffee, uh, uh, coffee beans. Are they freshly ground? Um, you can use freshly ground, but once again, I've made it really easy for the reader. So I've chosen to use instant coffee, use a good quality one. And it is hugely popular in certain parts of Africa mm-hmm. to use coffee. You get all the wonderful coffee rubs now for meat. I've actually used it in a recipe that I um, found in Zanzibar, which is my coffee chicken. Mm-hmm. And then I've also added it to my um, lamb which is in the Ethiopian section because coffee, obviously, Ethiopia is a birthplace place of coffee. Mm. So just Thanks. one of my favorite ingredients. Thanks for the chimichurri sauce, eh? <laughs> You're welcome. Because <laughs> <laughs> that's what I'm busy with now because, you know, you can buy it, but I think making it is, is, is so important um, and, and, and because it's fresh. Is, is there anything you want to add about the chimichurri? When, what, what meats do you use it with? How, much do you, how long do you store it for if, if it's homemade? You can store it for about five days, but I've been known to keep it for up to ten. Mm-hmm. So it's a really nice fresh short. And if you wanted to thin it down a bit, my recipe is sort of a medium consistency. You can add a little bit, um, like a quarter cup of boiling water and just give it a good shake. And you can add as much or as little garlic as you like. So it just depends on your own and your own preference. Um, it's great. It's, it's used in South America, and you can use it on mainly. They use it on meat, but it can also be used on chicken. Mm-hmm. And I, my recipe comes from Asuncion in Paraguay, where I actually ate it in a little restaurant in a scrapyard. Believe it or not, <laughs> I and read that. <laughs> I thought it was, it was strange that you know everything was rickety, and you were you know they were fixing cars on the other side, I think, and yeah. the f- serving food in a very decrepit place. Absolutely. I, 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 I like that. And that and tell us more, yeah? And um, we had a barman with like a gold tooth and I think he was, you <laughs> know. Mafioso type guy. <laughs> he was uh, of, of, a, of the different kind. So we, it, was, it was great fun because the, the sauce was robust and the meat was a lovely cut of steak that just came on a wooden plank and he just plonked, gave us a knife and fork, sort of just put it out in front of us and that was it. That's how it gets served. There's no frills. I know this is going to be difficult. Do you have a favorite recipe out of this? I do. The recipe that started it all is the Sri Lankan egg curry. Mm. And what sets this recipe apart is that the eggs 
are deep fried. And I'm sure many readers don't realize that you can deep fry eggs, uh, hard-boiled eggs. So the recipe will tell you exactly how to do it, and the skin, the white, puffs up, and it becomes like a butter around the egg, which then goes into this wonderful sauce. It's got a lot of fenugreek in it. Uh, it's got some turmeric and lemongrass and some fresh lemon. And it's from Sri Lanka, and that is the recipe that started it all, because I couldn't get this recipe out of my mind. Really? And I actually eventually wrote to the, the host that I stayed with, and a year later, they sent me the recipe. So... Um, I, I see do beautiful. urge everyone to try that. It's fantastic. I see beautiful curry leaves, just a whole sprig of curry oh, leaves yeah. on it. My mm. favorite ingredient, curry leaves. I, of course, but if you, you can, can find them, everything. if you can find them, can you grow them? I have a curry tree in my garden, and um, obviously I live in KwaZulu-Natal, so mm. they grow very easily, and they also grow very large. So you've, it's best to put them into a pot if you can contain them because they shoot runners very easily and the next thing you've got a curry leaf forest <laughs> but uh can you freeze yeah, them though if, if you can you can they freeze beautifully and um, they also last for at least two weeks in the fridge so it's, it's great but i really urge you to get a curry leaf tree it's fantastic to have listen i'm so i'm so grateful that you did this book because it's such a beautiful i'm going to try as many recipes out of this as possible and it's oh, at every you. good bookstore is it it is, and it's available online as well, and they ship within 24 hours, and it's been sent as far as sealed as New Zealand, and it took only five days to get there, so it will make a wonderful Christmas present. I'm, I'm sure, I'm definitely sure of that. What are you up to now? Are you still painting, still cooking? And um, I'm still very much painting. I've got two huge exhibitions, one in London and one in Singapore at the end of the year. Believe it or not, today I'm at a food shoot for one of the large food retailers. So I do freelance food um, photography as well. Wow. So I'm busy with that. And then, um, yeah, I've got my second book sort of in the pipeline, you know, sort of thinking about it already because I've got so many recipes that I wasn't able to, to put into this book. You, you're limited to 104 that I thought, you know what, what a nice project for next year maybe. Well, when you've got space and you're cooking somewhere, please let me know. I'd like to watch you at it. You're welcome. Thank you very much. Thank you, Natasha. All the best. Hey. Thank you. Bye-bye. Take care. Bye-bye. The Culinary Adventures of a Travelling Cook, Natasha Barnes. And it's out. It's 350 Rand. And you'll find it at all good bookstores or otherwise www.randomstrake.co.za. Otherwise, on SAFM. This is the inaugural Cape Town Fringe Festival, and uh, to talk to us about it, uh, please welcome Zikona Nweba, Fringe Manager for the National Arts Festival and for the Cape Town Fringe. Zikona, hello. Hi, Shadow, and thanks for having me. Well, thank you for joining us, and I must apologize, we were to talk to you last week, and then we just ran out of time. Yeah, Oscar the, was all over the news. Yes, so I, I yes, yes, thank you so much <laughs> for availing yourself again. Now, this is very exciting. Tell us what to expect. Um, you can expect a lot of things. I mean, the festival is packed with um, theater, comedy, and even for family, like your four-year-olds. And you've got we've got some musicians as well lined up and some magicians as well. Mm -hmm. um, so if you are in Cape Town or you will be in Cape Town for the duration of the festival, you must make sure that you attend the festival. It's going to be nice. Now, how different is it from the Grahamstown Festival? 
Um, it is slightly different from the National Arts Festival Fringe Program in the sense that um, it is modelled according to um, um, the World Fringe Alliance um, Festival, mm-hmm. where productions are selected to come and perform. Whereas the, the National Arts Festival Fringe Program, it's it's an open access festival. I see. If you apply, you are in. I see. So, so what happened at at Grahamstown? They handpicked Grahamstown Fringe. That is, they handpicked some the, the very good ones. And I'm told there are more than a hundred productions, right? Yeah, we we received about 160 application forms, and mm-hmm. then from that 160, we we um, we ended up choosing about 100 productions. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, it's a big festival, I must say. It starts on the 25th of September, which is next week. Where are the venues? Um, it, our festival hub would be in City Hall, mm-hmm. where we'll have about four venues, including the Fringe Club. We'll also be using um, uh, venues around the CBD, your Alexander Bar, mm-hmm. your Heating Hall in UCT. Mm-hmm. We've also have the Galloway Theatre as well as um, the German Club. Okay, and are there any venues in the townships? Yes, we've got Guga Sitebe Theatre, which is in Langa. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a performance that will be happening there. It sounds quite interesting. Okay, and do you have highlights for us? Is there, is there anything that stands out for you that's a must-see? Um, every show is a must-see. <laughs> it depends on each and everyone's taste. I mean, if you are into music, you would have... Um, I know the Crypt Bar would have um, music happening from, um, like, in the evenings as well. You've got your Guy Battery, you've got your Gary Thomas uh, who will be performing, as well as um, Amanda Tiffin. Uh, if you're looking for a light and hearted, like a comedy, uh, we've got a, a, a very big comedy show that will be happening at City Hall Auditorium mm-hmm. um, from, it's on Saturday the 27th. So all the comedians, it will be like a gala, cons- uh, gala comedy night. And we've got um, a lot of um, dance pieces from the Cape Academy of Performing Arts. Mm-hmm. They will also be taking part. You've got your... Um, your, your sort of like a, a performing art um, exhibit is where it's more like um, like an exhibition of the mm, sort. Mm. Yeah. Okay. Zikana, then will you give us, is there more uh, a website where we can find more information? Yes. Um, if people can visit our website on www.capetownfringe.co.za, you can also book online um, using the same email address and then you can also book via phone and um, the number is 086 or you can um, send an email to our box office at capetownfrench.co.za and um, find us on Twitter and on Facebook. I mean, the information is there. You'll be okay. able to get hold of us. Yeah. All right. Thank you so much for your time and all the best. We'll see you at the festival. Thank you so much. Hoping to see you soon. Thank you. Take okay, care. Bye. Bye-bye. Otherwise... On SAFM. Sophie Atta is the author of two previous novels, Everything Good Will Come and Swallow, 
published by Jakana in 2010, and a collection of short stories, News from Home. Her first novel won her the Wallace Oinka Prize for Literature in Africa and her short stories, the Noma Award for Publishing in Africa. Her novels have been published around the world and translated into numerous languages, and her radio and stage plays have been performed internationally. She was born in Lagos, educated in Nigeria and the UK and the US, and now lives in the US of Faye. She joins me now on the phone. Sefiata, hello. Thank you for your time. Oh, hello. Thank you for having me on your show. I, I, I wasn't quite sure what your accent would be. <laughs> <laughs> what did you expect? Well, yeah, um, um, well, I got what I expected, but you've been away from, from Nigeria and lived a lot in the UK and the US. I have, but I've always come back to Nigeria. You have? Yeah, I mean, I never really left. I, I went to, the way I see it, I went to school in England at the age of 14, and then I went to work in America at the age of 13. I am an American citizen now, mm-hmm. a Nigerian citizen, but um, I was first a Nigerian citizen. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Is, is, uh, is Diola, Diola uh, uh, can I say, tells your, your, your life story, is it? No. Not at no. all? Not at all? You know, and I wish people would read my other books so they can figure out that, no, I have um, not been a drug smuggler, <laughs> I have not been a 10-year-old boy <laughs> who crosses the Sahara. <laughs> Yeah. People assume when I write about a Nigerian woman that vaguely resembles um, myself in terms of um, the experience that I'm writing about myself. But I couldn't have done all these things. No, no, for sure. It's my first uh, book to read that you've written, A Bit of Difference. And I was really uh, intrigued and, 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 and inspired to hear the... Well, not even inspired. I think there's a, there's a thread that come that goes through being, and it's not only because of Nigeria, but I think any African who leaves the continent and, and because of the different cultures and traditions, um, most of us find it difficult to come back and and fit into the the culture that we grew up in. You know, hopefully, people won't interpret my book that way. You know. Th- Obviously, being overseas changes you in some ways, and then coming back home, you have an adjustment. But I don't find it overwhelming, personally. And in writing the story about Diola, I hope I didn't give that impression that Mm -hmm. it was overwhelming. In fact, what she was dealing with, I think most women in their 40s deal with if they're unmarried and they have no children. Mm -hmm. There's pressure Mm -hmm. from communities. On, even in, in the United States, I would say, to get married and do the right thing, have children. and Yeah, and that's what I was writing about, rather than the fact that she couldn't fit in her culture. Well, a lot, a lot had changed, though, or maybe she, she recognized the differences. Uh, yes, when certainly. She, she, she picked up on a lot of things she would not have noticed had she never left Nigeria. But, you know, having said that, there are people who are based in Nigeria and have been all their life. And they travel widely enough mm-hmm. to be able to see Nigeria with different eyes. But it's one thing to travel and another thing to live and work in another country. That really does change you. Would the same have applied if Jola was a, a boy or a man? Oh, you mean in terms of getting married? Yes, the pressures and the... the... I, I don't think it changed. It was a bit different for women, I would say, you know. And But with men, they do eventually get that um, pressure. And, then, you know, and I know a lot of uh, men who are writers and who are artists and who might find it harder to, to to financially support their families, you know. And then they face a different type of pressure as, as writers and artists and not living up to their own expectations. 
So as much as I identify with Diola's problems as a woman, I'm also empathetic towards um, the male characters, in, hopefully, in my, in my book, and the pressures that they have to live up to their, the standards that their communities put on them. Mm. Did, did she, I, I, I'm, I'm sorry if I didn't get it, but did she eventually have a child? Um, no. <laughs> <laughs> we ruin it. I, no, no, because I kept on going back and thinking, I want to know whether she's, what happened to the child? Is, is, is there a sequel to this book? No, I don't write sequels. When I finish with stories, I actually finish with them. And I have to say, I'm always way ahead of the book that I've written. So for a moment, I had to think. I couldn't remember what happened to the child <laughs> on another story now, miles away. But I don't think, uh, I shouldn't give a spoiler. No, don't I, don't I give a spoiler, but I, it's, yeah. it's not, I didn't miss anything. That's what I'm trying to say. No, you didn't miss anything. Oh, okay, okay. Uh, when I'm done, I'm done. And sometimes people think, oh, you left the story too early or or something, but I, I'm done. But when do you know you're done, actually? You know, it's, it's the process um, that you go through when you're writing a novel. And for me, I revise it until my embarrassment is the least. <laughs> and then I know <laughs> I can live with this level of embarrassment. And <laughs> then I move on to my next novel. Yeah. Well, congratulations. It was it was beautiful to read. Yeah. And I'm, I'm so happy that you took the time out to talk to us. Do, do you come to South Africa often? I've been to, to Durban. Uh-huh. And I've, this is the first time I've been to Cape Town. I've passed through Joburg, haven't seen it. So I've been to Vim, and that's pretty close. Yes, yeah, it, is, so, it is, it is, it yeah. is. Uh, but I haven't traveled widely um, around South Africa. I have to, I'm sorry, Southern Africa, mm-hmm. I have to say. Well, you have to. Thank you so much for your time and good luck with your next project. Oh, thank you so much. Thanks, Sefi. Thanks, Sefi. Bye. Bye-bye. Sefi Atta, the book is called A Bit of Difference. And, yeah, I thought I'd missed out the end, but I'm not going to tell you about that. Uh, do find it and read it. It is a very good read.